Okay, everyone, welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast, where we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I don't have my usual co-host today, Travis Pauly, but I am joined by my favorite person in the whole world. Uh, my wife, Holly McAdams, is with us today. I'm back. <laughs> yes, this is not your first time. This is right. not your first rodeo. Repeat performance. Yes. Back by popular demand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So we are going to talk about marriage advice. Um, I think I'm going to title it something like the best marriage advice in the Bible. We'll get to what that is, what I believe is the best marriage advice in the Bible uh, in a second. But I want to start with some marriage advice that someone gave me when we first got married. And it was the preaching minister that I was working with in Hot Springs, Arkansas at the time. His name was Jack Smith. And Jack said that his favorite piece of advice that I've often repeated is don't listen to all the advice. And I like that because everybody has marriage advice for newlyweds. And some of it is valuable and helpful and some of it is not so much. Um, I think that we won't get into the specifics of one set of advice we got in when we first took a preaching job in Northeast Arkansas, there was a little old man there that gave us marriage advice and it was rather graphic and <laughs> descriptive. So yeah, some of the marriage advice that Christian people give to young people, they might should just keep to themselves. But we're not going to talk about that type of marriage advice, but I do want to talk about marriage advice that is problematic, not just from the standpoint of it's not helpful or it's crass or rude or whatever, but the very popular type of marital advice that we read in books, and you you and I've been to lots of marriage seminars, and it's all good. I don't want to, I don't want to start as if we're saying it's, it's bad, Um, but it doesn't, but let's talk about what it is, sort of the gist of most marriage advice, and then like why it it's lacking. Maybe lacking is a good word. Like it, it needs something else and, and we're really not addressing some of the core stuff. So, um, just, we'll just start with that. Do you have any thoughts on that before we really dig into it? You can go ahead and start. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think that for me, it seems like most marriage advice that you hear in books, uh, or in marriage seminars is, motivated by reciprocity. So in other words, you do this for your spouse and your spouse will do what you want them to do. So if you want your husband to help more around the house, here's how you need to treat him. If you're more kind or you're more loving or you're more respectful or you're more helpful or you're more whatever, then your spouse will do these things for you. So Mm -hmm. you see a problem in your marriage because you don't have the respect that you want or the love that you want, or you, you don't have the intimacy that you want, or you don't have the help around the house that you want. So it's up to you to do good things for your spouse with the motivation that they will reciprocate that and do those things for you. So you will sort of move them to being more loving or more respectful by, by being loving and respectful. And then they'll do that in return. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a to-do list. Yeah. Yeah. And, And sometimes in those seminars or in those books, they'll give you very specific examples. And, and sometimes Sometimes there can be some truth to that. Right. And like we, we've we talked about, like, yeah, if you, I don't know, if you, those are good 
maybe helpful hints or I don't know tips, but it, it doesn't get to the core of the issue. Like, sure, um, vacuum for me seven times a week, and then whatever, and then I'll love you more. Yeah, or I'll respect you more. I'll treat you better. Yeah, but what is really the heart of the matter? It's not that you don't vacuum seven times a week for me. You know, what is the core? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. I, I think it's just it's just addressing it's addressing so, sort of symptoms yeah, rather than yeah. really getting at the the heart of the problem. Yeah. But I think too that it's it's selfishly motivated, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of my biggest problems with most marriage adv- advice is that it's selfish. It's selfish to say do this for her so that she does this for you. Now it's not wrong. And it's even good to say, Wes, you should help around the house. You should vacuum the carpet. But (laughs) you should not tell a husband you should vacuum the carpet and help around the house so that your wife is more intimate with you. Like Mm -hmm. that is selfish because that's saying that that the price of intimacy, the price of what I want is doing this thing that she wants. That is selfish and it's carnal. And that sort of selfishness and carnality and being motivated by our own wants and needs and desires is the very opposite of what the selfless love of a Christian marriage should be. And and so I, I think from the very beginning, we're setting people up for failure because even if it works, and sometimes it does, right? right. I mean, sometimes on a very pragmatic level, if a man does help her on the house and his wife says, oh, that's so wonderful. And that does make her feel more attracted to him. And she does want to you know, be more intimate or whatever the case may be. And their marriage does get better because they're doing nice things for each other. But there's going to be a deficit at some point because they're sowing to the flesh. They're sowing carnality. They're they're doing this out of selfish motivation. And And the other side of it is that a lot of times it doesn't even work, right? I mean, that's the other part of the problem is that sometimes it does. Sometimes you do these little, as you said, this to-do list and you go down the list and you do these nice things for your spouse and then they reciprocate and they do nice things for you. And so sometimes that does lead to a healthier, happier marriage, or I might say a happier marriage, not necessarily a healthier marriage, but it does lead to a happier marriage, at least on the surface. But so many times it doesn't work. And I've seen so many couples that feel very short-changed and and they're essentially being told that your marriage problems are your fault. Like your husband is being a jerk because you're not loving him very well. Or your wife is being cold because you're not loving her very well. And so it's your fault. Well, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes they are doing everything they can within the realm of what's reasonable or, or available. They're doing those things. And their spouse isn't reciprocating the love or the respect or the intimacy or whatever. Sometimes there's other problems going on. And and sometimes these sort of tips and tricks, because that's what they are. They're hacks. They're they're tips and tricks (laughs) to address the symptoms. Mm -hmm. They don't actually result in in what we think they might result in. Right. And it could lead to resentment. Like, Mm. uh, hey, I told you to do this for me and this for me and this for me. And you didn't, so I'm really just not really liking you this week, you know, and you hold it against them because they didn't do this, this, and this. Yeah. 
Well, that that reminds me of a the other night. I didn't watch the whole episode, but there was an episode of King of Queens on TV, and and so the 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 husband in the show wanted to go on a trip to Las Vegas with his buddies and he knew that his wife was going to say no and so he wanted to get her to say yes and so he took her to a spa and gave her a spa weekend and even though he was miserable he did that so that he could cash in on that credit and that's how he thought of it he thought of it as credit and he says I've banked this credit with her and now I'm going to cash in on it well what happens is the the trip to Vegas gets canceled and so he doesn't have to a- ask her. And so there's no way to sort of spend his credit. And now he's trying to come up with things to spend his credit on because now he's banked this credit. Well, that's exactly what happens when we sow to the flesh, when we try to improve our marriage in these carnal ways where we're doing something good for someone else, but we're doing it with selfish motivation. We sort of, like like you said, we, we get resentful and we start to keep track and keep score. And we say, well, I've done five nice things right. for you, but you've really only done one nice thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you owe me because of this thing or the other, or I'm going to do something nice right now. And later you're going to owe me this mm-hmm. thing, and we may not say it out loud, but no. these are sort of the unspoken things that sort of go on in our heart and our mind. And when we feel like the other person isn't reciprocating those things, then you, like you said, we we get resentful. Yeah. And so I, th- I think we have to we have to guard against that type of advice on both of those levels. On the the level of pragmatism, that it doesn't always work that way. It it might work sometimes. But it, it doesn't always work and because it's selfishly motivated. Yeah. And then when it doesn't work, then you're like, oh, well, now what? And you feel like your marriage was a failure or <laughs> right. that week was a failure right. or, you know, now what do we do? Nothing's working. <laughs> right. You feel like the bottom has dropped off. And yeah. And, where, and do I we think, go? where do we go from here? Right. I think that's exactly why people get to sort of what we say, the end of their rope, or we yeah. say they, they just, they don't know what to do after that because they've, they feel like I've done everything that I can do mm-hmm. to, to fix this or to make things better. And I'm not getting what I want. And that's really what it comes down to is I'm not getting what I want. Mm-hmm. And if I can't, if I can't manipulate you, because that's really what it is. It's really an, an act of subtle manipulation. You say manipulation, mm-hmm. you're doing nice things. But yes, you're you're doing nice things in order to get them to be nice to you. And if you, you don't get that in return, if you can't change their behavior, then then you eventually get to a point where you say, well, I can't ever do enough to get what I want out of this marriage. And because I'm not getting what I want out of this marriage, then I, I just don't see any hope for it. Mm-hmm. But why do these books say that? And why do these seminars mm. say that? Why... Why can we find that? Any any book we pick up about marriage almost will say, here, do this, 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 and then they'll do this, 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 this. Why? Because they're not trying to, they're not saying, you know, they're not wanting us to manipulate each other as husband and wife. They're not trying to, so why? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. I think there's two things that come to my mind. One is that there there is truth to, and I don't want to gloss over this, that there is truth to sometimes the other person's attitude is at least affected by the other person's behavior mm-hmm. or attitude. Yeah. So if if a husband is being a jerk and he finds his wife is being a jerk, 
Well, it might be that if he stops being a jerk and starts being nice, she yeah, might also right. start being nice. And so there is a truth to the idea that we have to take responsibility mm-hmm. for how our behavior is affecting other people. And there's some, so there's some truth to that that we don't need to gloss over because that's true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what's happening, the tone, the atmosphere in a marriage right. is because of people not doing what they're supposed to. And if they do what they're supposed to, things change. But there's a big difference between saying, take responsibility for your actions and take responsibility for other people's actions. Because that other person still has to be responsible for their behavior and their thoughts and their attitude and their feelings. If I try to take responsibility for someone else's attitude and thoughts and feelings, then then I'm going to either manipulate them to my own will or fail, more likely fail to manipulate them to my will and get frustrated that you're not doing what I want, even though I'm doing everything mm-hmm. I think you want. Um, and so I think that I think that there is enough truth there that we can sort of try to build, I think people try to build on that idea because there is truth to the mm-hmm. idea that if you're treating your spouse poorly, yeah, part of the reason they may be treating you poorly is because of, your behavior. But I think the other thing too, is that even Christian seminars and advice and books, we don't want to lean too heavily on spirituality because we, we recognize that some people aren't going to accept spiritual answers. Mm -hmm. And so because we know that the, the spiritual truth that is at the heart and the core of this discussion that's what will really solve the problem. But because most people aren't willing to be really spiritual, it's easier to address the symptoms than mm-hmm. it is the real problem. Yeah. And and some people aren't going to take the medicine. It's like if somebody comes in and says, I have cancer, and the doctor says, well, what you really need is radiation or, or radical surgery to have this organ removed. And they say, well, I don't want to do that. What else can I do? It's like, okay, well, mm, you can yeah. treat the pain. You can yeah. you can take these these painkillers, and it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to help. Well, the problem is the cancer is still there, and so these this is what happens when Christianity becomes very consumer oriented. It's we're we're giving answers to suit the consumer, and mm-hmm. the consumer says, I have these pain points in my marriage. Help me fix these pain points. Well, the answer is become a disciple of Jesus and follow him with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength, be filled with the spirit of God. And and then these problems will be different and changed and, and things will begin to transform. Things will transform in you. Things will transform in the world. Um, your marriage may get better and it may get worse. Like honestly, if a Christian is married to a non-Christian and, and the Christian invests deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ he or she may be resented by their spouse and the the problems and the pain in their marriage may very well get worse. Well, good luck selling that book to people. Like <laughs> here's, here's the advice is become a better disciple of Jesus. And they say, well, my spouse resents me for being a disciple of Jesus. And the Bible says, do it anyway. Yeah. And they may come around. Peter says, you may win your spouse over, but the truth is you may not. Mm-hmm. And, and so there really is no consumer oriented yeah. truth to this. But but that reality doesn't sell books and it doesn't sell seminars. And we are we are to do list people, I think. Yes. Oh yeah. We as us too. Yeah. <laughs> but as Americans, as this generation, maybe I don't know. But we're our, 
tell me what I have to do. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. That Cause I could see that I could mark it off the list. And so that's easy for us to look, to look at yeah. and say, Oh, I can do that. Yeah. And, and I think that, that too, that if we are addressing, cause I don't want to just totally discount. Cause I know a no. lot of people that do great seminars and great books and all of these things. And, and they're good at addressing the, the, sort of peripheral issues. Yeah. Once you get the core things dealt with, if somebody is taking chemo or has surgery, they're still going to need painkillers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but offering painkillers to someone who hasn't really dealt with the cancer, that's mm-hmm. not going to help the situation. But giving people both mm-hmm. deal with the real root problem and treat the symptoms, that is a holistic approach. And then I think that's how we have to approach this. We have to, we have to recognize that the biggest issue is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And when, when we allow the spirit of God to transform us from the inside out, that's the best medicine for our marriage. Now, there's also practical things like vacuum the carpet and mm-hmm. help with the kids and do the dishes and be intimate with your spouse. And all of those things are helpful and, but but those things are not the core. And I think so often we ignore the core because it's it's hard to swallow. It's a it's a pill that's hard to swallow. And we have mm-hmm. to really, we have to grapple with these big truths or else everything else is just going to be uh, fluff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which leads to... Which leads to Ephesians <laughs> chapter 5. Um, in fact, I think we may take a short little break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Ephesians 5. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so... Again, I think that the the key to all of this is not to throw away all of the marriage books. It's not to throw away all of the marriage seminars, but it it is to to simply say the best marriage advice in scripture is I believe be filled with the the spirit. Right. That's, That's the best advice. It's not tips, tricks or techniques. The best thing that can make an unhealthy marriage healthy is God in the spirit. That's right. <laughs> you have to say why you're saying it that way. Well, the other day we were having a conversation about all this in the car. And so I was writing down what, a couple of things that you would say. And so we wouldn't forget. And that's yeah. one of the things that you said. Yeah. What did so. I say? Tips, tricks, or techniques? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's right. It, it's not. It, but that, like you said a minute ago, that's what we like, what we right. want. We just want a bullet list. We just want a, a, a checklist. We want bullets. We want to be able to just kind of go down a list and, and do these these hacks, these tips and tricks. You know, I've talked about how YouTube and even like TikTok now are really exciting because we can communicate information in short little snippets and give people this information. But at the same time, it's training us to think that the solutions are simple Mm -hmm. and they're not. The solutions are not simple. They're spiritual. There's another alliteration. (laughs) So, but, but that's the thing is that we want to oversimplify this process, everything. everything. (laughs) And the answer is not simple. The the Mm -hmm. answer is be filled with the spirit. That's the answer. I'm going to read from Ephesians 5. Because we typically get to verses 22 through 33 that specifically addresses marriage. 
And then it will go on to address parents and children and servants and masters and all of those things, the household codes. But leading up to verse 22 is be a new person, the new anthropos, the new humanity, be a spirit-filled person. He says in verse 15 of Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the best marriage advice in the world. The best marriage advice in Scripture is to be filled with the Spirit, walk in wisdom, be Spirit-filled people. That's what it that's what it takes to have a really good, healthy marriage. And then he's going to go on to describe that it looks like, in practical terms, when when spirit-filled living is applied to marriage, here's what it looks like. It looks like wives submitting to their husbands as a mirror reflection of the way the church submits in all things to Christ. And then it looks like husbands loving and sacrificing themselves for their wife the way that Jesus sacrifices himself for the church. It looks like this loving, submissive, respectful, sacrificial, selfless relationship. Nothing could be further from the truth, from this truth, from this reality, than the way we try to motivate people to have a better marriage. If we say, okay, Holly, your job is to be a reflection of the the love and the submission of the church to Jesus in the way that you love and submit to your husband. That's a very different thing than saying, hey, if you do this, your husband's going to do this. Your life will be so much more, more comfortable and so much easier if you'll do these nice things for your husband. Those are two radically different motivations. And they're going to have two radically different results because one is sowing to the flesh. It's saying, if I am going to get what I want, here's what I have to do versus here's what Jesus has done. And I'm going to do this in response to Jesus and as an act of obedience to Jesus, that we treat our spouse in in a loving way as a response to Jesus, as obedience to Jesus, not as a selfish way to get what we want out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Don't you think... It would come naturally. Like if you're filled with the Spirit, then yes. this just kind of overflows. It just right. comes out. <laughs> you can't stop it no matter how hard you tried. But if you're filled, being completed, being completely full of the Spirit this stuff would just happen. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's... And so another passage that we could talk about is Galatians 5, verses 15 through 23. And he's... He, this is exactly what he's talking about. He's he's talking about the difference between sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. He's talking about the difference between living a, a carnal life and a spiritual life. And when we hear carnal... Like we think about like people that are living in gross immorality, right? Like we tend to think a carnal person is somebody who's 
looking at pornography or somebody who's having an affair or somebody who's doing something that is obviously immoral or reckless or wrong. Well, in Galatians, the carnal people he's talking about are religious people. And the carnality he's talking about, the walking by the flesh, is an emphasis on circumcision. Like that's their that's their carnality. But he says when when that is the way you live your life is according to the flesh, then there's going to be this natural, like you said, Holly, this natural overflow. And and the the fruit of that is going to be rotten to the core. He says, I say, verse 16 of Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, these are the works of the flesh. And we have a tendency to think about a few of those when we Mm -hmm. think about the works of the flesh, but things like jealousy and strife, and fits of anger. Like we have to recognize that this is a fruit of our life, not because of what someone else is doing or not doing. Like I'm getting angry and I'm having a hard time being patient with someone, not because they're being rude and hard to get along with because they're not a very good spouse, Mm -hmm. but because I'm walking by the flesh, because I'm coming into this situation or this relationship with what I want to get out of it, with my list of demands. And I'm coming into this with a fleshly carnal mindset. And that's why I'm struggling to mm-hmm. not have fits of anger. Now, that this doesn't mean that if you're a spiritual person, you'll have a great marriage. It's like, no, that's that's not the case. This isn't a this isn't a matter of pragmatism or practicality. You you might not have fits of anger or jealousy or strife, but the other person does. And maybe it's because they're not walking by the Spirit. But it doesn't mean that if you walk by the Spirit, that the other person will as well. Maybe they will. Peter talks about how that certainly can help move them in that direction. Mm -hmm. And this carnality feeds on each other in a negative way. And spirituality has a tendency to feed on on each other in a positive way. But that's not a guarantee. So he says, these are the works of the flesh and they're evident. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, of course, the context isn't marriage, Mm -hmm. but what marriage wouldn't be amazing if it had all of these things. If, If you could say, describe your marriage, and these were the words that you use to describe your marriage Mm -hmm. or the way that you treat your spouse. Yeah, that's a lot better than describe your marriage. Well, he does the dishes. He changes diapers. Yes. Um, he's there every night. And then, okay, what's your marriage like? Well, she cooks dinner for me every night. It's ready for me right when I get home. Um, Mm. we do whatever, you know, whenever. (laughs) And then, you know, that's way different than, well, it's loving. It's joyful. It's peaceful. It's good. It's, you know, we're faithful, you know, completely different. That's so good. I didn't even think about that, but you're exactly right. 
if we follow advice, we get at best, at best, a description of what a person does. Mm -hmm. If we follow the spirit, we get a description of who a person is. And that's, that distinction is so incredibly important because a wife can have a husband who does the dishes, but isn't loving. Mm -hmm. A wife can have a husband who vacuums the carpet, but isn't joyful. A a wife can have a husband who helps change kids' diapers, but isn't self-controlled. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves at the end of the day, who is Jesus calling us to be? Now, will a loving, joyful, peaceful, right. patient husband also help with those things? Of course right. he will. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that we tr- we so try to break these things down and give like advice that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Even the practicality side of it is she'll be more intimate with you if you help her on the house more. Well, Maybe that's not her love language, to to borrow book terminology. Maybe that doesn't communicate love to her. But also, maybe you you're in a situation where she doesn't need help around the house. Like mm-hmm. she, it, it, you have so much money, you have a housekeeper or whatever. Like, I mean, but these these characteristics, they are true and necessary and good in every situation. These other things, again. They, they might be helpful. If you have mm-hmm. a marriage that's full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, you have a, a marriage that's full of the spirit, you might benefit by somebody saying, oh yeah, and have you ever thought about helping with this? And have you ever thought about doing right. this? But then you're doing it for totally different reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's it's two totally different motivations. It's two totally different outcomes for someone to say, I brought flowers to you today because I love you. Because I'm filled with joy, what we have, what God has given me in my marriage, in my life, but especially what he's given me in Christ Jesus. I I just brought these to you because I love you with no expectation, with no strings attached, with no effort to manipulate and like, well, you better pay me back later. Like, it's not that way at all. There's no keeping score. There's no, there's no record keeping. It's just love and it's just joy and it's just peace. And the only way to get to that point is not through tips and tricks and techniques, but through following Jesus. And that's why the very best marriage advice in the Bible is to follow Jesus, is to be filled with the Spirit, is to be a disciple of Jesus. And the closer that you're drawn to Jesus and the more you look like him, the better your side of the marriage will be. Because And that's something, like, I think we have to be very careful to say. We can't say, your marriage will be better. Like, again, I don't know. Because so many people in the first century, and that that's a little check I like to use. Like, I like to, when I preach something or teach something, I like to say, would this work in other contexts? Would this have worked in the first century? To say, here's some good Bible advice. It'd say, would that, what would someone in the first century have thought about that sort of advice? And, and so if you had told someone who was a first century Christian that if you follow Jesus, then you're going to have a better marriage. Well, there were wives, there were women who were left abandoned by their husbands because they followed Jesus. There were, there were spouses who were put to death because they followed Jesus. There were people that were kicked out of their homes because they followed Jesus. Jesus himself says in Luke 14, you have to love me more than your mother and your father, your wife, your children, 
everything. You have to take up your cross and follow me. So it's not a guarantee that your marriage will be better, but it is a guarantee that if you're a spouse, you will be a better spouse if mm-hmm. you're a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to come back to something we talked about earlier, that that these books and seminars and advice, it's not bad, but it it overpromises. It 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 seems to, at least to me, mm-hmm. when I would go to those sorts of seminars or read those sorts of books, again, a lot of good practical yeah. advice. And don't neglect that advice. Mm-hmm. It's good advice. Um, but it but be aware that there's often an overpromise to these things. There's a there's a promise that your marriage is going to be better if you implement these tips and tricks. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's happier. Sometimes it's less painful. Sometimes there's less fighting if you'll implement these things. Uh, but but ultimately, the, the way to have a to be a better spouse, I think that's how we have to say it. The way mm-hmm. to be a better spouse is Because I be, can do only me. Right. I can't fix you. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't. I'm in control of me. Yeah. And I can change how I act or think or do or, you know. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I think the other tends to be, I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but I think it tends to be a way of manipulating someone else's behavior rather than simply taking taking responsibility for our own behavior and saying, I'm responsible for being the best me I can be. And the way I can be the best me and the best husband and the best father I can be is to be a follower of Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. And, and no matter what anybody right. else does, right. no matter what, how anybody else responds, mm-hmm. this is what I'm called to do and how I'm called to live. And, and then our, our love for each other, our love for one another is not contingent upon what anybody else does. And we're not keeping a record to right. say, well, if you don't, if you don't step up your game, then, you know, right. I'm a hundred points in, you'll never catch up with me <laughs> so I can stop now. You know, and if you're having a bad day, then it's not going to ruin my day or it's not going to, yeah. you know, ruin my week and ruin our marriage and how we interact with each other for the rest of the week. I mean, it could. Yeah. And it does when one person's in a bad mood, then it does affect the other one, you know, but it doesn't destroy Yeah, and like the end of the day and it's just done. And, ugh, yeah. It was a failure, epic fail. <laughs> well, I think that that's exactly right. I think so often people's happiness is contingent upon, it depends upon the other person and the idea like, I need you to make me feel good about me so then I can love you the way you want to be loved. And so it's this, it's this cycle of codependency of where we're dependent on the other person to make us feel good. And if they don't make us feel good, then we're not going to treat them well. <laughs> and and then we don't treat them well because they don't make us feel good. And then they don't feel good. And so they don't treat us well because mm-hmm. they're not treating it. It is, as one book puts it, love mm-hmm. and respect, this crazy cycle. Mm-hmm. But the answer to the crazy cycle isn't I need to do what's right and then I'm guaranteed that you're going to do what's right. It's I need to do what's right because of what God in Christ has already done for me because he is filling me up and allow ourselves to be filled with the spirit rather than trying to allow our, our spouse's love to fill us up. That's what I think so many people are trying to do is they want to be filled by their spouse's love. And they think that's what they're they're signing up for when they get married. They think, when I get married, my spouse is going to make me happy. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be this codependency where you're always 
depending on the other person to make you happy and they're going to fall short and then you're going to fall short in making them happy and then you're just going to be mad at each other and resentful all the time. But if the spirit fills you up, then you're not waiting for anyone or anything Mm -hmm. and then you can love them out of an overflow and an abundance. That doesn't mean you and I have this all figured out or that we're always filled with the spirit, but at least we know where to go when we're not. That when I'm feeling empty, I can't come home and say, okay, Holly, now it's time for you to make me feel good. I'm depending on you to fill me back up. I'm empty. I don't have joy anymore. And it's your job to right. give me joy. No, I know that That's I have not to fair turn to, to me the and it's not fair to you. It's exactly right. Mm-hmm. We're expecting each other to be the Messiah for us, to be the savior for us, to be each other's rock. And that's not the way a Christian marriage is supposed to operate. Now, I understand why people in the world are dependent on each other in that way, because they don't have the Lord. They don't have the spirit to fill them up. And so the next best thing is a good person. And a good person can make you feel really good. And it's really nice and really wonderful. But it's no substitute for the spirit of God filling you up, because someday your spouse is going to die. Someday your spouse may be in a coma. Someday your spouse may have a nervous breakdown. Someday your your spouse may slip into a depression and they're not able to give you anything anymore. And if that was the source of your joy and your happiness, then what? You're mm-hmm. both going to be depressed because now you were dependent on them to give you joy? It just can't work that way because we're too frail. Like you said, we crush each other with our expectations. If I'm expecting you to do for me what only the Spirit of God can do, I will crush you with those expectations Mm -hmm. and vice versa. But when the Spirit does for us what he promises to do, then we can love each other out of an abundance on the good days and the bad days. And that's why you have to have that foundation. You have to have that rock before you get married. And yeah. That's, you have to get that right first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, it's really difficult to come into a marriage as two broken people expecting that the other one's brokenness to make up for their brokenness. Mm -hmm. It's much better to come in as two healthy and whole people. But of course, the Lord has the way of redeeming even even marriages that started off this way. But we have to know that it's not going to be quote-unquote marriage advice that's going to fix the brokenness inside of us, the emptiness inside of us. It's going to be the Mm -hmm. gospel. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be the Spirit. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.